0: Headliner Radio, the creative voice. This is Headliner Radio, and I'm your host, Will Hawkins. Today, we've got a special guest leading the charge of drunkabilly rock and roll. Chris Hazard from the band Ginger Merkin out of Venice, California.
1: That
0: was Ginger Merkin, and welcome to our show today, Chris Hazard. How you doing, buddy?
2: Howdy. I'm doing well. Good to hear from you.
0: Yeah, man. How's everything going over there? You, uh, how you handling this quarantine? I mean, I'm trying to be
2: productive. Just make a lot of music, so I'm sitting here mixing with a Malibu tarantula as a side project that I do. So uh, mixing the third song, and you know, gonna. I think the good thing to do is try to release a lot of material. So that's all we can do. If we can't play live, we better record. That's what we're called recording artists, right? So
0: yeah, what's your rig like back at, at your place? What are you recording into?
2: uh i use garageband uh I'm a big proponent of it I have a lot of outboard stuff that's specially made for using it and uh like i have a lexicon big button that was made by m audio that goes that works with garageband and i use the Scarlett two one two you know a little ghetto rig you know i've got a, a couple decent mics but um my go to is uh you know just using a a beta fifty eight and so um you know, comes out good enough, like good enough for demos. And sometimes, you know, you know, it's like, I always say to people, you know, you never know when a demo is going to sound like a record.
0: So. Yeah. Right. You know, it's interesting. So many bands will do a demo and then get a lot of money to go into the studio from a record label only to go back to the demo. It's like the magic that they captured there was never quite recaptured the second time around.
2: I know, I know. Like the first time I ever heard Jane's Addiction when the record came out, I was the first record. I was a little let down. I mean, I got used to it, but I thought the demo was much better.
0: So I've, I, I I've
2: witnessed this before.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up Jane's Addiction because you've been part of the Los Angeles rock community for some time now. Uh, you were the lead singer in a band called Funhouse, that was in that whole hairband kind of area uh, time frame, and You performed and hung out with a lot of the people that are are now like very much attached to that period of history, uh, like Guns N' Roses. And uh, what are some of the other bands that were around at that time?
2: I mean, the bands that we came up with, like, um, you know, the whole hairband thing, like we, we were part of, and cause we started in 1986, but we like, v- we were a bunch of punk rockers. So we all of a sudden like looked at ourselves in the mirror and veered away from that. And, uh, we got more accepted by what was going on up in Seattle. So, um, the bands that like, uh, were coming out right around the time our record came out in 89 was, a um Pantera and we were playing with uh Alice in Chains and um you know Nirvana was starting to become an upcoming band up in Seattle and the Seattle scene was going in the Green River and which turned into Malfunction which turned into Pearl Jam but we'll, initially was Mother Love Bone and um so anyway, it was a, it was a really fun time. I mean, we all a lot of my friends became or now very legendary. So it's a it was a very interesting to sit back and sit, sit back and watch.
0: <laughs> yeah, and now that we've had some some time in between, uh I'm sure there are a lot of bands that came up that were very popular then and now maybe time has not been so kind to them. And um What were your favorite bands at the time? Huh.
2: Well, let's see. My favorite bands at the time, like I was a big fan of Suicidal, um, Suicidal Tendencies from Venice. And uh, that really was a big influence on me. I think they took what Metallica was doing and did it much better. And so that was a really big jump for me. Of course, you know, I mean, we we came up like we came came up under the wing of Guns and Roses. Uh, we rehearsed in their they left us our, our their old studio when they got bigger, and we played shows with them. And you know, I mean, and Axel was kind of a, a stern big brother attitude towards me, and and uh, um, so I was a big fan of Guns and Roses, and definitely like admired what they were doing. Um. God, there were so many, there was just so many good bands. I mean, the one thing is like, I'll tell you, is like yesterday we lost a guy named Len Fagan who ran a club in LA called, he died from COVID. Wow. And um, yeah, it's, uh, he ran a club called the Coconut Teaser.
0: Oh, and, wow, I remember uh,
2: that. Yeah, and I was like, uh, people were asking me my favorite memory of Len. And I remember I skateboarded by, you know, and they knew that I love this one singer. And he was like, hey, they're playing tonight. So I went in and watched with just Len and I there was nobody there. And we watched this band lay down the most amazing set I've ever seen at that time. And it really was a game changer because that band was tool. Oh and wow. Yeah. It was it was like, whoa. Like, you know, like the whole guns N' roses and all the hair metal thing. It was like, you know what, you better uh you better do your homework because this is a little bit more advanced math than you're used yeah, to.
0: That's very yeah. cerebral rock and roll. So how long from that point that you saw them play, did they break? I think it was about
2: a year later, wow. you know, but, uh, it was the, it was the end of the dumb rock. You could get a deal if you sounded like poison and played horrible, <laughs> you know, because yeah. every, every horrible band was getting a deal and, uh, you know, just because they looked, they had the look. And then all of a sudden those guys came along and, uh, That was, that was pretty much the end of the Hollywood uh, scene is the way it was at that time.
0: So it's, it's interesting though. It's like when, when a band like that will hit the wave kind of picks them up and carries them through to get signed. And you'll, it's almost like they split through the static or the din of whatever the scene is doing in that moment and all the forces kind of get behind them and they in a way, you kind of lose control over what's happening. But at the same time, you get carried along and people get involved in your project. They make sure the right people hear it. They make sure the right attorneys get involved. And the next thing you know, you've got a record that's out and you're on tour. And you start out in this little tiny club with three people in it. And a year later, you're a massive band. It's it's really amazing to witness. And I've witnessed that a couple of times in my career. Working at labels and as a musician, but it's that band is just—it's done so much for that kind of for that kind of music. And this last album was was incredible. How did, what did you think of this last release they did?
2: I haven't really. I you know I got to say that you know I look forward to the chance to listen to it because I've liked everything they did. I really did not understand perfect circle. I, I, I do you know, they have a huge fan base and uh, I thought I called it tool light and uh, I just didn't <laughs> yeah. get it. It just didn't, it didn't floor me like, you know, the tool stuff, but everything tool has done. You know, those guys, that formula of that band is uh you know, just, they're just amazing, you know? So, I mean, we all knew it at that time.
0: With your band Funhouse, what was the trajectory of that band? What was the lifespan of that band? Well, Funhouse
2: has still actively done stuff all the way, you know, like we, st- a Ginger Merkin has really kind of taken over everything I do. But, and I have actually members of Funhouse in the band in Ginger Merkin now, which has just been a dream come true. Uh, but Funhouse has made music since 19, I have recordings. I'll share them with you. I'll give you a copy of them. We have, I have a record. It's my greatest hits called Overnight Failure and uh, (laughs) sad story, but sad, but true. But, uh, Funhouse is recorded from 1986 all the way until recently, you know, so we did a record with, yeah, we did a record with Greg Hudson from the Circle Jerks, uh, at the helm, and uh, he helped me get that record done at his studio called Gourmet Sounds. And it's a phenomenal record. And as soon as this whole thing, I can sit down and have a meeting. I'm, I'm going to start. A, I'm going to a, a, I have a label that I'll be submitting that, all of that material to. So there's there's literally um, you know, 25, 30 years of recordings with Funhouse. So Funhouse wow. played, there, played its last show a couple of years ago.
0: And we'll play again. So with this new band, Ginger Merkin... You said that you got some guys from the old bands and new people. How long has Ginger Merkin been playing together as Ginger Merkin?
2: I've been Ginger Merkin. Like uh, it's uh, the alter ego that I switched over to. um, I've been doing since, God, like mid 2000s. So, um, and I've had the band Ginger Merkin since around, I think, 2008
0: Cool. And tell you what, let's take a listen, um, right now of Howl and Moan. Um, you want to set it up a little bit for me? Well, Howl and Moan is, a. I love writing
2: the stories. And so story country is, uh, it's a much more of a challenge and I wanted it very correct. And so it's about a 53 Ford F100 from the day it was built to me giving it to my daughter, you know, yeah. 40 years 50 years later you know so it's uh and and it moving on and down the family line but everything that 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 you know it's not your typical country song because it's about every single nut and bolt and if you listen to it it's, it took me months to uh, accurately uh find out all the history of where it was built the price it was sold for you know, it's like it was a very, and it's, a, it, I'm I've written a few more country uh, like stories, and I'm actually going to write some love songs because the stories can be very. I, I have a new one called El Casa Grande Rancho, which is about a family that, you know, has bought a, um, you know, from the day that their the, their great great grandfather built the property all the way up to the, the family getting it taken by the bank and burning it down recently. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not, the story's gonna take a break and write some stupid love songs for a while because I, no more like in depth stories because it's like, you might as well be researching a novel.
0: So that's what Hal and Moan is. Hal and is a mini novel. All right. Well, let's take a listen to Hal and right now. This is Hal and from Ginger Merkin. Dearborn
1: 1953 From a crucible sparks and fire Out of a Pennsylvania state foundry well, All this years later with Detroit Mike, don't look no good to me a lot for a golden anniversary They had a sea full of cars but that truck really spoke to me
0: So where did you come up with the concepts for this new project?
2: For, for Ginger Merkin in 90 six, I started to realize that at my age, like if I wanted to have a career that went on into my, you know, later life and continue to do, and didn't want to make much of a fool of myself. I mean, cause being a hair band and getting old is not conducive. <laughs> they, they do not yeah. go hand in hand very well, but playing country music, uh, I realized that I could probably do that for the rest of my life. And um, i a lot of the songs that i i've always been a country fan so and a rockabilly fan and a lot of the stuff i wrote for funhouse was very rockabilly country being turned into heavy metal songs you know or yeah. hard rock songs which you know you'll hear other bands do it if you really listen closely to a lot of guns and roses there's actually a lot of country written in there too oh,
0: and they're, they're all pop songs when you look yeah. at the form i've done acoustic versions of mr brownstone where it's a ballad. I mean when you when you look like just at the songwriting structure of those songs, all of them are pop songs with all dressed up to be heavy metal. Oh yeah. And well, it's the, pop, kind of the pop songs
2: are the the trick, you know. It's like to write it, you know. People can, sh- you know, I'm a punk rocker, you know. People can say what they want about pop, but it's like, you know, writing ear candy and a good hook and all that stuff is like, you know, people are like, oh, you're a sellout if you're doing this or that. It's like, no, I want to hear good songs. I want you to give me the best of selling me and getting that hook stuck in my ear with a beautiful melody. And, yeah you know, and people, I, I, I think it, my stuff all revolves around doing the same thing, you know, coming up with that hook first. and
0: And those are the songs that end up being timeless and whether it's Bach or Beethoven or the Beatles, Elvis or Bad Brains, you know, it's just, it's, the song is memorable because it has all those qualities.
2: Yeah. Well, even bad brains, like their biggest hit was a song, sacred love. It's a total pop song, you know? I mean, if you really think about it, so, you know, it's, you know, and people did call them sellouts for making that record.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Whenever it gets to a point where it draws other people in from that initial circle, Then it becomes more widely accepted and people are like, oh, now you've sold out. Now you're making money. It's like, what did you want me to do? Do you want me to live in my car for the rest of my fucking life? You know, it's like, I I, got to make some money here.
2: Well, I used to say a long time ago, I mean, cause Funhouse is, you know, plays a lot of hardcore and, and very punk rock influence. And I used to say, well, you know, punk rock doesn't pay the bills, but I got to say like with the resurgence of all these, like, you know, I mean, there's a lot of like old punk rock bands that are now out there making a living. So it's like, it's, it's come full circle. Um, when I, when I was a kid, like I, I was into punk rock very early on and I took a lot of abuse because of it. And I would have people come to my house and be like, hey, let me play you this record. You know, and people, I play them TSOL or, um, you know, I play them the Ramones, like early on in the, like in the mid seventies, like, you know, what are you into? Oh, I like the Ramones. Let me play this for you. And, um, you know, it was so unacceptable. And now it's just so weird that it's like, you know, parents now cut their hair kid's hair into a mohawk and dress them in a Ramon shirt or, you know, like, you know, even like, you know, wear a bad, you know, bad brains, sh- you know, shirt. I'm like, I'll see like a girl walking down the street and I'll be like, wow, it's a cool bad brain shirt. Or like, you know, they'll, they'll have some kind of, like one girl had a seven second shirt and I'm like, wow, you like seven seconds. She's like, no, I just like the shirt.
0: Yeah. There's actually a YouTube, a guy who walks around and interviews women he finds with rock and roll t-shirts and asks them what they know about the band. And it's pretty hilarious because most of them don't know even, they didn't even realize there was a band name on their t-shirt.
2: Yeah. The one that I, uh, what was the one? Some, oh God, I can't remember. You know, uh, it was, uh, oh, she had a youth brigade shirt on. And uh, (laughs) when she didn't know what it was, I was like, you know, you would have gotten beaten up back in my day for wearing that shirt if you didn't know what that was like we, there was a punk rock hierarchy of you know the the congress of punk rock that did not allow you to do the stuff like that so it's it's pretty amazing what that it's come full circle that it's very acceptable now so
0: what's what's your songwriting process like do you are you inspired and sit down and write do you put time aside for writing sessions where do you get started when you when you're writing I start, I, I pretty much
2: always start with the hook. So I'll come up with some hook, you know, and then I ride around, you know, howl and moan, like uh deceiver wasn't written that way. Sometimes I'll sit down. I mean, I'm, you know, I've learned this process of just sitting down recording and then singing along, you know, it's like, it's taken a, a different, cause all the funhouse stuff was all, I sat down and, um, wrote those songs you know like and each one was a process of writing the song and then taking it to the band and letting those guys um you know do what they wanted to it and then you know the one thing i've always learned is just give the band the stuff and the freedom to do what they do and the song will come out much better than if you just have like this you know you're like, what's well, my way or the highway? I, I realize it's, I just love what people do with my music.
0: It, it's one of my favorite things in life to, to see. Well, tell you what, why don't we have you do a song for us right now and um, pick huh. anything you want, dude. What, do you, what would you like to do?
2: Uh, let me see. Well, I got, well, you and I met pretty much through open mics and, and our little scene of Friends you know which is like i remember the first time i saw you play and i was like wow this guy's got a great fucking voice. excuse my language he's got a really good voice <laughs> he doesn't have an effing voice but he does you know and uh so i like um this song's about the um the whole thing that we go through as um musicians playing here in los angeles you know going from um all we want to do is be heard you know it's like money is you know, it'd be nice if we got paid, but you and I like and a lot of people around here, we'll just go and play because we just wanna play. We want people to hear it, you know. So this well, is
0: it's it's our lifestyle. You know, yeah. it's it's of course we want, you know, get albums out, wanna be on the radio, want people to hear it, but at the end of the day, this isn't something that it's like going to a golf course once a week. You know, this is a lifestyle. You play as often as you can. I try to find as many opportunities that I can to perform in front of people, I get better. And it's a matter of forming a community. And you can't survive if you just play into an empty room or if you don't have other bands that come out to see you. And what Los Angeles has more so now than I've experienced since I moved here 10 years ago, on the west side of Los Angeles, there is a community of songwriters and there is a community of musicians and bands that play together and write together and even socialize together. And it's through their fan bases that co at shows that create scenes. Yeah. And when you look, and when I think you it's look a at- very
2: healthy one on this side of town compared to Hollywood. It's really a much healthier, uh, it's
0: like a cross your heart bra. You know, we all support each other and yeah. it's like, uh, there's competition, but it's not competition. Like, like when I hear you do a good song, I'm like, I want to do a good song too. You know, it's just like, I don't, I want to run side by side with you, you know, whereas in Hollywood, it's a little bit more, uh, people will cut you to get ahead where I think on the West side where we are here in Venice, people are helping each other out. They're loaning, uh, they're loaning equipment out. Like I was at a show and the microphones went down and Rick, Rich Sheldon showed up with, oh, you were at that show. And, and Rich showed up with a bunch of mics, you know, it's just, oh no, that was Britain. Britain showed up with, with mics and a monitor. And he showed up at like 10 o'clock at night, leaving his kids behind. So yeah, there's, I agree with you. There's this great family-like kind of structure here. It's terrific. Yeah, I can,
2: I can be a little mean to people sometimes. Like you, you're always good. You, I mean, you always, I'm always so happy when I see you out there and, uh, but some people like they, they they're like, hey man, like come to my show. I'm like, I've come to sixty year shows, and you haven't showed up at one of ours. So you oh, know what? Great. That ain't gonna happen. I'm not coming. And I'll call them out on. I'm not coming and seeing you until you get off your lazy butt and come some
0: see somebody else. Because it ain't all about you. Oh, that's great. That's <laughs> so-, so funny. I got to tell you, it's like I was so intimidated by you before we even met from watching you play. And you carry yourself a certain way. And we we walked past each other a bunch of times before we realized we had common friends. And it wasn't until after I performed at Isaac Irving's show at Surfside, you came up and introduced yourself to me. And the minute you spoke to me, I heard your voice and I I could sense your your kindness and your generosity just like right off the bat. And I think it was six months that I I wouldn't say I avoided you. But I was certainly intimidated by you. And you're one of the sweetest, most generous guys on the scene. And I don't know what the hell I was thinking. I get that. I'm just such a you know, I mean, I definitely I mean the one thing to address in this whole thing is
2: I really enjoy being a weirdo, you know. But the the sad <laughs> the sad part is, you know, I you know, my whole thing is that I'm trying to give people in the world something interesting that they haven't seen every day. So my whole look is like You look
0: like a you look like, like a Rasta
2: biker, dude.
0: Yeah, it's just like (laughs) there's this toughness to you before you you walk in a room and everyone like the room get gets out of your way, and that's what I saw. And I'm like, who is this guy? (laughs) You know, and I get intimidated easy.
2: But I I must be doing a good job, man. I get the Academy Award there because I'm like a real. I'm just I I love people, you know. I'm like I (laughs) I
0: know you do. People always say that
2: they're like, oh, I met you. You know, you're like goofy and nice, and I'm like, oh. Yeah, I just, you know, I have that, you know, I'm from, I've been in Venice for so long. And it's like, we're really conditioned here. You know, we come from a very rough background of, um, you know, this was a very, very rough town to grow up in. You know, it's like, uh, there was a lot of gangs and... um, you know, it's it's still part of the lore here It's changing quite a bit And it's slowly dying down But, you know, it it, it gives you the predisposition To kind of be on guard Okay, so here, let me turn this up So you can hear it Well, hell If you
1: ain't found yourself Let me help you along the way Grab a chair and sit right down And listen to what I have to say I was told there's no gold on the road to rock and roll. And now the story goes, I bought this here cheap guitar. And hell, what I thought was good enough. Well, I went down to the local bar and their reception was ice cold. Started walking on the road to rock and roll. And man, I got to tell you, the trip ain't easy. Day. And when you think you're done, you still have a long way to go. I went down to the surfside honky tonk and The singers there singing who good. I walked up to Mr. Desi Ramone, and said, Can you teach me? Said I oh, wish I could. Hellcat, I'll try to show you. Just don't do what you're told. If that's your first lesson in yeah, rock and roll, rock and roll. Here, kitty, key, rock and roll. Here, kitty, kitty, rock and roll, round, rock and roll, here, kitty, kitty. Well, I learned pretty quick, I wasn't dressed by right, my songs didn't sound too good. I need to give myself a good stage name, told Will Hawkins, call me Ginger Merkin, well, he kind of laughed his eyes rolled it's a long trip down the road to rock and roll and man i gotta tell you well the trip ain't easy and when you think you're done you still have a long way to go but now they say you're right, pretty good i've lost songs about sex and drugs and murder the only cowboy thing i've done these days become a real good musician herder like telling cats sit in a circle, let them do what they're told. your class lesson in rock and roll, rock and roll. Here, kitty, kitty, rock and roll. Here, kitty, kitty, rock and roll. Rock and roll. Here, kitty, kitty.
0: Something like that. There you go. What's the name of that song? That song is called Here
2: Kitty Kitty. It's about being in a band.
0: (laughs) That's great. So who would you say your influences are now? Like, who are you listening to these days?
2: Huh. Let's see. I listen to a lot of J.D. McPherson. And... uh, I listened to uh, a lot of like later Jerry Lee Lewis, Uh and uh, um, I mean, I listened to a lot of rockabilly. I listened to Floyd Dackle. Who were you always uh, into that
0: kind of music, or is it something that evolved into? No, I've been
2: I've been into rockabilly music since uh, I think uh, I saw the Buddy Holly story, and that um, was
0: great. I saw that a hundred times if I saw it once. It's my favorite. It's probably my Uh, favorite movie. It's hard to believe Gary Busey. Like he got nominated for an Academy Award for that performance. He deserved it. He killed it. I mean, he's a lot bigger than,
2: you know, I mean, it was weird when I actually, yeah, I saw Buddy Holly. I was like, hold on. He's
0: tiny. (laughs) And has dark hair. Yeah. (laughs) Like so, but, but yeah, so Buddy Holly was a big influence on me too. Growing up it was just like, I couldn't, how old was he when he passed? 26, 27?
2: I don't know. He was young. Yeah. He's definitely, I mean, if you look at like, I mean, I, I'm a hybrid of like whatever I, but the, the reason I wear the glasses and the aviator, I wear the same, you know, I'm not the aviators, but the, the horn rims is that, uh, I'm definitely like Buddy Holly, um, huge influence. Also the same reason though, like kind of like what inspires me is look wise and everything is Roy Orbison.
0: Oh uh, yeah. I could totally see that. And it, so when I introduced you, uh, we, I called what you're doing Drunkabilly, which you said that when I asked what your music was, which I find interesting because you've been sober now for what, 12 years? No, I've been so – I have not
2: had a drink for seven years. Okay, so, seven, seven years. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, unfortunately, I had a slip up on pain medication um, a, a couple of years ago. And uh, um, so I will have not done any drugs uh, for – Two years coming in, God, God willing, in May.
0: Yeah. And then how long had you been s- sober before the slip-up? Uh, five years. Okay. Yeah. So so you're doing Drunkabilly, Country Rock and Roll. You're singing about past nights out in Los Angeles. Is that right?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, um, a lot of my songs are about drinking. You know, and it's funny because I get this crowd. The, the, it's like I, you've been to the shows. You know, everybody thinks we're singing drinking songs. You know, but they're actually about the the, the you know the the dark side of where it goes. So, well, you
0: know, it's interesting that you can remember anything that you can actually cause to write through. So yeah. Great.
2: It's terrific. Well, the song, the outlaw of excess was, which is the title cut of the ginger Merkin record, uh, was written like pretty much like one of the first things I wrote when I got out of rehab. How important is your sobriety to you? Well, it's, you know, I mean, I get at my age, I get a lot of stuff done and, uh, uh, that I probably would have never gotten done. And, um, I feel like career-wise, I kind of like, you know, threw a lot of it away, and I feel now that no matter how old I get, I still got a chance, you know. Right. And I'm very, it keeps, you know, I help others. I work in, I work in the recovery field, and um, that has its ups and downs. But it's like it really helping others, which is a big part of being sober is getting sober and then helping other people is, um, it makes, I, I don't know. I really enjoy my life. You know, it's, uh, it definitely makes me enjoy life a lot more. So I do miss some, you know, I do miss, sometimes I miss going out and getting fucked up, but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was no fun for anybody else, you know i mean i gotta say you know i thought I, I thought I was great, but I was a bar brawler, I'm lucky I'm not dead because I am not that tough, and uh you know I'm lucky somebody just didn't swap me, you know, and uh you know, it was like I was a shit talker, and you know <laughs> it's like i'm a little i'm a little i'm a, i've got a better uh, i the, not no alcohol is like slapping a muzzle on me, I do a little better.
0: I think if you and I had met fifteen years ago there might have been some trouble and we might have ended up in Chino together. There you go. Woohoo. <laughs> Maybe robbed some banks. <laughs> so <laughs> Hey, it sounds like a good idea when you're drinking. <laughs> Everything does. Well, now with the with this quarantine that we have going on, um, we don't know when the venues are gonna open up again. How how are you planning? to promote your music that's coming out. And by the way, I listened to the to what you've got recorded and I was so impressed with what you've done. You were really able to capture that attitude that you were talking about, but there's also a lot of space there. You know, it's like it's I wouldn't say it's a simple recording, but I would say it's an honest recording. And I just think it's kind of got the best of Social Distortion meets Merle Haggard. And oh, I, I just love really love it.
2: I'm obsessive about the recording process. And so, you know, with the, the, the lack of budget of having a major label, I'm going to try to like, no matter what. And, and also just to like, you know, I was very lucky to have the guys from ginger Merkin um, of that band, which was a, uh, you know, Darren, Darren hall and Ramage and Brian Chatham. And um, of course my favorite member who's still with me. And I would, I will, do whatever I can to always make him happy, which is my drummer Adam Rhodes. And uh I miss you know, it's like I I now have the overnight failures, which I, you know, Adam's with me. And then I as I said, I brought in some of the guy I have brought some of the guys from Funhouse. But uh I have to give credit on that record to the fact of that I had, you know, that band had gelled and um you know, those guys are amazing. You know, they, they just they did an amazing job on the
0: record. So, yeah, it's terrific. And you did you produce and engineer it yourself?
2: I, uh, my engineer is Tim McCarty and, uh, and also Brian Chatham and I did some of that. We, uh, tracked, uh, Don't Stop Crying, which I think is the best song on the record, which was a home recording, you know, and so that was just done in our tiny little closet. And, um, Last Match in the Book was also recorded in a, in a home studio. Another and then. Great song. Yeah. Then Ironstone studio with Tim McCarty is who, you know, I'm about to go in. I I have a new song called residue from the fast lane, which is, uh, maybe I'll play that one. Um, that's, uh, uh, I mean the the overnight failures is a lot more like even more down that vein of like Reverend Horton heat, social distortion, you know, Merle Haggard, like, you know, I don't, you know, it's like, I don't really care to appeal to the pop side of country. Um, as much as I did cater on that record because of the people that I was playing with, I'm kind of more, a little bit more uh, ready to come out with a, a, and anyway, I'm going to do that with Tim McCarty at Ironstone studio. So he's the engineer that guy like has to deal with. He thinks I'm nuts, but he does believe (laughs) he knows he he's learned that I got a
0: good ear. He's like, how the, he's always like, how, how do you hear that? People got ears, man. Some people got better ears than others. That's how they make a living.
2: Yeah, I I got really lucky. I mean, I'm not gonna. I try not to even cut me off, but, um, you know, as I told you, you know, my godfather, you know, produced Miles Davis, and my dad. Produced a number of. My dad was like a big part of me learning, you know, how to produce, and he produced a lot of, He heard, produced Herb Jeffries. He produced Bobby Short. Um, I don't know if you you remember Bobby Short, cabaret singer from New York. Of
0: course, I've seen him at the Carlisle Cafe many times.
2: Yeah, my dad produced all of his stuff. My uncle Bobby, I grew up with Bobby Short, and wow. um, I had a very lucky. Well, I was very lucky to be adopted by a family that was a bunch of jazz. My both my mom, mom was the singer for Count Basie. And, um, so, but to have my dad and, you know, a lot of people around me, like, you know, I grew up with Quincy Jones and watching the process of making records and how to produce, um, I've had to produce all of my own records. And, um, I think I've gotten like, I mean, I'm not great at it. I'd love to have a big budget and produce somebody else's records. And I've done a few of those before I've mixed a lot of records, but, um, I've like been left to becoming a producer of my own stuff because you ha- you know I'm sh- you're doing it for yourself. We have to do it.
0: Yeah, it's and it's a great way to make sure that what you hear in your head ends up on wax. You know, which with, is so hard. It is, and and to find a producer who can help you do it. For, like I'm limited as to what I can do. And I've been very fortunate to find the producers in my life that I've worked with. And most recently, Fernando Perdomo, who's producing my band. He's our lead guitarist for Nine Mile Station. He's this mad genius and sees and hears things that I don't. And then he's able to, to translate that and articulate that in a way that the whole band is elevated. And sometimes that's the best thing of, when you have a producer that can bring things out in you that you didn't even know you had.
2: Oh yeah. Well, he produced one of my, uh, of the local artist. Um, he produced one of my favorite records, which is the, the Christina Vane record, which I, I oh, like, yeah. I thought, you know, I really thought it was quite, you know, I mean, it's funny that little girl, like, you know, like i I'm, I'm asking her while I was working on, you know, all the stuff on the record, I was playing her mixes and going, you know, what do you think? And she was pointing out like, you know, I'm like, am I getting away with this? And then she'd go, yeah, I hear a problem here. And I'm like, ah, you heard it. Okay. I thought I could slip that one by. So she's, she's a talented kid. And she, and she's uh, very
0: smart, man. She's got a very intellectual way of looking at the music that she's doing and still be able to have this amazing passion and feeling that's behind it. And he did a great record for her. And she's going to be on the show next week, actually. Yeah.
2: I like what, I like what he did. Very stripped. I mean, it's very to the point, you know, and, uh, you know, I look forward to hearing more from her. I mean, I think she's got a new record coming out pretty soon. So
0: yeah, she's terrific. Well, tell you what, Chris, we're going to finish up here. If you could let our listeners know where they can find you. And then if you could close out the show with performing another tune for us, I'd I'd love that.
2: Well, I talked about residue from the fast lane. So I'll probably, I'll try it. Let me tune this guitar up. Um, uh, that's going to be the new one that I'm going to do. And like, I mean, this is the thing I've kind of pulled all my libraries down. So it's like, I mean, you can listen to me on reverb nation and you just, you just Google ginger Merkin reverb nation. You know, I want people to listen to my music. So I've like gotten to the point where uh, like, I'm going to re release all of my library of that, the stuff that's on the overnight failure record. If you run into me, buy a CD off of me. You know, it's like, if you like, or I'll say my greatest hits overnight failure, which is 55 songs I've done over 30 years. And like, you know, some of them were done with, um, you know, I mean, I worked, you know, T-Bone Burnett oversaw stuff that I did. Um, I had, um, Gaza X who produced and, uh, did a holiday in Cambodia and he did Meredith Brooks and, um, I mean, I've had, you know, like I've just got, I've had the uh, opportunity to work with a lot of, you know, there's a lot of surprises on that record of, of people that are like guest artists that I play with. I mean, I have like a little background vocal that Axl Rose came in through like many years ago and uh, it just got so much good. So hit me up and get the overnight failure record from me. But uh, if you want to listen to Ginger Merkin, just it's free. Just go to Reverb Nation. And at some point, hopefully like I'll I'll have the ability to really properly release my music, but I'm like a weirdo. I don't want to, I just don't want it out there just for the, I want people to listen to it, but if they're, you know, it's like, I I want it put out right, you know, and I'm, I'm waiting for a label to come along.
0: So that's great. What's, uh, what's your, your Instagram?
2: My Instagram is Chris. I'm Christopher hazard, but backwards on Instagram, I'm hazard Christopher. Add me on Facebook, Christopher hazard. I'd love to, you know, it's like, I, I really believe in Facebook a lot more. I don't know why, but I think Instagram is just insincere. Whereas I believe like Facebook is people who actually somewhat really care. I mean, I love getting out to strangers, but I believe that the people that I ask to do things on Facebook for some reason—I don't know. I'm maybe I'm an old fogey. I'm a, I am an old fogey. So,
0: anyway, <laughs> well, so. well, Chris, thanks so much for being a part of our show today, uh, and and take take it easy and please be safe out there, brother. Thank you. You too, man.
1: old shotgun, I got my record done, hey, I went number one, let the gold to my head, I guess so, no, I bought a lot of fast cars and piles of cocaine, but that's just the residue from the fast lane. It's just the residue from the fast lane.
0: Chris Hazard, thanks so much for being with us, uh, and we will see you next time. This has been Headliner Radio. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.